Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Changemakers LA podcast presented by Lisk LA. The Changemakers LA podcast is a tribute to the people and the policies that make LA neighborhoods good places to live, work, and play. This is Tanua Thrash Intuk. I'm the executive director of Lisk Los Angeles. Today's episode will cover the importance of the school to career pipeline. That's right, you heard me, the school to career pipeline and managing equity outcomes through industry, government, and academic institutional organizations. We want to make sure that that coordination is happening now that we are as post-pandemic as we could possibly be, um, but in some cases still going through it. So for today, joining our conversation, we've got uh, two special guests. I want to first welcome the dynamic Joy Masha. Joy is the daughter of an immigrant father from Nigeria who was born and raised in Long Beach, California by her single mother. She's the first member of her family to obtain an undergraduate and graduate degrees. Ms. Masha is co-founder of Read Lead, a summer school after-school program that provides free educational enrichment for low-income elementary and middle school students and their families in the Los Angeles area. She believes that restorative education is necessary when establishing dignity and relationship building and important to transformative opportunities for justice in the African-American and Black communities. Joy currently serves as a program director for the Children's Defense Freedom Schools. Oh, wow, that's great, Joy. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here as well. Thank you. Great. Glad you found that uh, unmute button. Thanks. <laughs> In addition to that, we've got the uh, courageous and always uh, bringing us great ideas, uh, Benjamin Torres. Uh, Benny is president and CEO of the Community Development Technology Center, known as CD Tech, a nonprofit organization focused on addressing issues of racial equity and economic justice in low-income areas of Los Angeles. CD Tech's community planning and economic development um, program develops leaders and change agents directly from the community. They serve in coordination with the uh, LA Trade Tech uh, Community College, the oldest higher education institution in the city of LA. Uh, Benny's entire career has focused on placing the tools of democracy directly in the hands of the most marginalized residents uh, in the community by making sure that they've got the education, training, engagement, and multi-ethnic racial community building. Mm -hmm. Thank you both so much for being here. Benny, thanks for being a guest again on our show. Thank you, Tanua. It's, it's an honor to be here with you and of course with Joy. Thank you. So I really appreciate you all sharing your insights for today. You know, many of the folks who are on the line have heard the term school to prison pipeline. But today we're going to be talking about a different kind of pipeline, focusing on the school to career pipeline. As a result of the pandemic, uh, many Los Angeles communities are undergoing an enormous economic and educational transformation that has profoundly impacted residents' access to academic institutions and organizations and programming and services, um, which is what we're going to focus on today. Uh, some of these uh, institutions and organizations uh, continue to face uh, some serious implications as a result of the pandemic. And there is a rising crisis in attendance um, and learning outcomes in our community among youth, making it even more difficult to transition from school to career, right, which is where we want to see young people go. 
Currently, enrollment is down. Over 150,000 students in K through 12 systems uh, are, are dropping. Uh, that's between 2019 and 2020 and the 2020 and 2021 school years, right as we've seen um, the major pandemic uh, crisis happen. Our guest today not only uh, will talk about mitigating challenges uh, in creating and making sure that there are school to career pipeline uh, opportunities, innovations and approaches in that, but they'll also be addressing some of the challenges uh, that the most impacted communities in our uh, area are experiencing. So let's talk to the both of you. Um, let's make let's get into this conversation about school to career pipeline and how do we make sure that that is happening even in the middle of a pandemic. Joy, uh, so you're with the um, with the Freedom School, and it was born out of the a program of the Freedom Summer and the War on Poverty in the 1960s. Uh, tell us more about uh, that, you know, and why a multicultural centered curriculum is critical um, to the outcomes of your organization. Sure, and I, I want to also say, as we are seeing the numbers of students um, not as engaged in school, um, but we are seeing an increased number of students who are interested in jobs and careers and wanting to take an opportunity where they can get some work experiences. And so for us, circling back to why their education is as equally important to succeed in those jobs and to be able to have upward mobility, it really is going to rely on community organizations to fill that gap. Um, for us, the Children's Defense Fund, which was founded in 1973 and led by the incredible Marion Wright Edelman, who is um, someone who's near and dear to me and gave me the opportunity at a young age to learn um, about this industry and the work we can do in the community space. Um, but when talking about the history of our work, we're going back to Freedom Summer, which happened in the state of Mississippi in 1964 by a group of young people, um, black, black young people in particular, who founded an organization called SNCC. Um, that's the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Um, students have participated in led sit-ins um, and the Freedom Brides and said, you know what, we need to go in the heart of the Jim Crow South. Um, there we want to increase voter registration among Black Mississippians. And we wanted to establish freedom schools. And so increasing voter registration was the whole goal of ensuring that there was representation for Black people politically. Um, the economic landscape needed to change, housing needed to change, and of course, quality education was needed. By establishing freedom schools, they had over 40 freedom schools across the state. And it was young people who were leading these schools, um, who were teaching the curriculum that was culturally responsive. And the whole idea was to leverage literacy as a way to have critical conversations about the reality and activate their agency to make a difference. Um, today, uh, we have the CDF Freedom Schools, which was officially established in 1995, again, to target Black children. But this is a program that benefits all children. And it is still led by young college students so as we're bringing an intergenerational leadership model to the community, we are saying that young people are here, um, young people need to be served, they need to be guided, they're ready, they're hungry, and we let them know that they have a pipeline from K through 12 and that they can come back to the community as teachers um, to begin uh, their journey in serving their community 
um, but also looking at a career in education should they choose. Joy, I am so glad to have you here. I mean, I have firsthand experience with uh, a number of freedom schools throughout Southern California, particularly in LA County. Uh, I know how critical it is that the freedom schools exist in the neighborhoods that they exist in and that they operate in the churches that they operate in uh, to make sure that young Black children and all young children in those neighborhoods have an opportunity to continue their literacy skills and reading and really develop a love for reading because as you have already pointed out, that is the foundation uh, for being able to critically consider your own circumstance and then to be able to make a change in your community. So we're gonna talk some more about that. Uh, I wanna get uh, Benny in here as well. So Benny, how does CD Tech's uh, LA uh, Trade Center Partnership really support comprehensive career pathways? And why are institutional partners like a community college vital um, to equity outcomes? So, you know, Joy's got the kids in the summer, getting the reading in, the cultural competency, and then we reach a point where you've got a high school uh, education, potentially, potentially not, because trade tech will take you either way. Um, what, what is it about your program and how do you make that connection uh, with uh, the community there? Thank you, Tanua. Well, you know, uh, because City Tech is, is a racial justice, uh, racial equity and economic justice organization, Everything we do has to have a level of intentionality. If we are to target the right communities, if we are to try and develop the spaces for learning, uh, knowledge development, network building, a career pathway exposure, and then having a place where people practice what they're learning and then continuing to help strengthen the infrastructure of our communities through the nonprofit sector in this case. To give you a specific example, you have to be able to lay out the entire spectrum of what that takes. Uh, our program at LA Trade Tech College is the only one that exists west of the Mississippi where you have a certificate and an A degree in community planning and economic development. We also have a variety of different certificates uh, that specialize in specific areas, but we're really trying to get people funneled into do three things. One is to be effective leaders in the communities by being in these classes and developing their capacity, of course. Uh, to understand how to use data and, and analysis and begin to bring their ideas forward in terms of the kinds of projects uh, and things that we can do. The second thing is to get people to transfer to four-year universities, as was mentioned earlier, so they can have that exposure to uh, when the program uh, to careers in urban planning, for example, uh, uh, community development. When the program was first started, uh, you'd require, it required you to get a master's degree to really kind of engage at that level when we started back in 95, it's, things have changed now. Now there's actually urban planning classes at the, at the Bachelor of Arts level, right? Uh, so, but we're still thinking of making sure that we give people an opportunity to get their uh, early units, their general education, exposures to the field, and then take classes at the Ford University. And the third reason why we created the program, which is I think the center of today's conversation, is because we wanted to get people into, the, into work. We wanted to get people into careers, where not only do you have the opportunity to build and, uh, and help strengthen your community through uh, the community development field, but you also have an opportunity to transform yourself and that of your family's economic well-being as well as mental state, health, because you are now driven by this focus to change community, to change the systemic conditions that have created environments by which we have so much poverty 
in areas like South Central Los Angeles, right? So the program structure was set up uh, to really provide that, that kind of professionalization of the field of community economic development in a way that was gonna be accessible to the uh, most marginalized residents, those who have been affected by this uh, systemic inequality. And, and so for us to develop a program, we had to make sure that we thought about how we're gonna reach participants to take classes, okay. what kind of instructors do we wanna bring? So all our instructors are field practitioners. Mm -hmm. So these are not folks who are kind of talking about this from a theoretical base, but they're talking about it from a practical application. This is what we do in the field. And we wanted to create spaces by which people get the chance to practice what they're learning through paid internships, uh, because we also wanted to respect the economics of our communities, right? It's, uh, many training programs in many industries, as you know, are about come take training, come get learning, uh, but we can't pay you, but we expect you to be here every week for 20 weeks for four hours a day or, or five hours a week and take this knowledge and hopefully you have a chance to get a job. But we wanted to begin to address this from a more intentional way. Nonprofits need community-based folks who look like the people they're trying to service to do the engagement, to do the outreach, to do the frontline work and eventually grow through management and hopefully lead these organizations. So we wanted to create spaces by which these students through our academic program then get the field experience on the ground in these organizations so that they can better see what the career looks like, what kind of impact can it have on them as individuals, on their families and in their communities. And then hopefully they'll pursue it. Now, those that do not wanna pursue a nonprofit the skills that they develop in the classroom and out in the field and in building community with other students allow them to cross the different sectors. They could take those skills to the private sector or they could take them to the public gov government sector. But the important thing is that you have community folks from these neighborhoods, historically disinvested, marginalized, disempowered and misrepresented, now get to be the leaders in the change process of their own neighborhoods through the classes that we provide, through our instructors that are there present working with them, and through the networks that are formed with our community-based uh, social change action groups. So that's that's the intention. And of course, Parent you cannot, you cannot, mm -hmm. you cannot lose, I'm sorry, and the, and the most important thing here too is, or one of the important things is the academic institution. The LA Trade Tech Community College is a great partner in that it is one of nine institutions in the LA city region, you know, that can provide these kind of classes. So we've started at Trade Tech with the intention of taking the program to multiple colleges so that we can expand that kind of impact across many neighborhoods that are dealing with the same kind of dynamics as South Central Los Angeles. Many that was comprehensive. Um, it shows that you've been doing this work for more than a decade plus, uh, probably going on a couple, almost a couple decades uh, in terms of understanding that it is about identifying people from the community who are most impacted by systems, uh, providing them with training from practitioners, giving them a chance not just to learn it, but to do it uh, at the same time and making that connection. And while we hope to keep as many of them as possible who've gone through the training, uh, they certainly will be well equipped to go anywhere um, at that point that they choose uh, to do and hopefully take all those values with them as well. So you have given us quite a, a comprehensive look uh, into why it is also so critical to have a partner like LA Trade Tech, an institution in the middle 
of the community uh, where people already are, um, live and work. So Joy, um, you know, we've, we got to talk about the pandemic and its impact uh, on young people. Um, we, uh, you know, we've had uh, safer stay at home uh, orders. Uh, young people are online. My own kids are doing school online, elementary, kindergarten age. Um, how has the Freedom Schools adapted to this climate uh, to ensure that your program participants are successful, the organization is successful, and that there's safety? Um, and I think as part of that, part, you know, we're hoping that you can also uh, spend a little time talking about literacy as uh, foundational for upward mobility um, and why that's so important to getting to some of these opportunities that Benny talked about and beyond in the community. You know, the pandemic, which is still happening, and I really hope that um, folks say we're in our third year of the pandemic and understand that um, what happened at the start of the pandemic is still very much affecting um, folks of color and poor people. And so we have a lot of work ahead of us. Um, I'm not um, here to say, you know, everything is, is all well and we figured out uh, the, the plan and we have the best practices and we know what we're doing and um, everything's gonna be all right. I think the reality of it is it's been hard and it's been exhausting. Um, we also know that um, with our spirit and sheer will to ensure we meet the needs of children and families, that we use that to drive us forward. And so for us, I, I thought about it in three ways, particularly three takeaways through the pandemic um, that speak to program participation, organizational success, and safety. So one was a complete mental shift across the entire organization. Um, once we went on lockdown, we knew that our program, which is in-person, it's an in-person program, would now be online. Um, it required our organization to think about its processes in a whole new way. Um, it being us moving from you know, a simple email to now having every single person on Zoom, having authorization to an account so that they can conduct meetings so that they can be in communication with partners who are serving children and families throughout the nation. This also required us to think about a professional training platform. Um, our training was in person in Knoxville, Tennessee at the CDF Haley Farm, um, where we would bring down 2,000 young people to learn the Freedom Schools model for a whole week. And now we would be experiencing this week-long training online, so acclimating our community to this new normal, but still giving them the same quality of training and inspiring them and reminding them the purpose of our work, whether it be online or in person, we still have children who need to be served. We still have learning outcomes that need to be reached and we still need to provide resources to our family. So let's figure the best way to do that. And so for us, we spent less time on what was not working and more time on what could work and how do we strengthen those areas. Um, two, we maintain an emphasis not only on safety for the scholars, but also our staff. And so our staff are our partners. And so that requires staff to just have an extra list of requirements that they had to check off um, and verify with us before they can move forward in hosting of Freedom Schools. We also wanted them to um, share with us how they're meeting CDC and local COVID-19 guidelines um, to ensure children were safe because we knew that 
our children who are going to be reading these powerful, culturally relevant books um, would need them in hand. And so how do you deliver those safely to families as well as their school supplies, um, have them log in by providing them with a device. So we encourage our partners to provide families with a device so that they can receive what CDF Freedom Schools has to offer. And I wanted to uplift last that we um, actually gained a new model for parent and family engagement. Um, we've always been invested in parent and family engagement in our work, um, learning about the needs of families, providing resources, doing referrals, but the pandemic revealed that we needed a deeper relationship with families. And so this meant check-ins, text messages, phone calls, emails, and sometimes home visits. Um, but it wasn't just, hey, how you doing? It's, what's going on? What could be done differently? Where are our scholars struggling? Mom, dad, how are you really doing? To the point we had parents break down, Miss Joy, I don't think I can do this, right? And so for us, the practice of family care became a priority. And so I see my parents completely different now. I see the entire family. I see that I have scholars who, are, who have a family of five and who are using one laptop. That can't be. We've got to change that. I've learned parents who had heart conditions. I would have never known. They didn't want to disclose. Many were afraid if I tell you what's really going on, what could happen to my family. And so we had to establish a level of trust and transparency. And our goal was to keep your families together and make sure you have what you need in the pandemic because we are surviving together. And last, I would say we centered all of this work in joy. And in Freedom Schools, we have a component called Harambe. And Harambe is uh, Swahili and it means pull together. So we would have music, drumming, we would dance, we would laugh. We have an anthem in Freedom Schools that says something inside so strong. We were singing that song every day. It became a part of our hearts, our soul, and our attitude to keep doing the work. And so um, there's so much more learning that's taking place. But with those key lessons, we move forward. Um, and I'm sure by the end of this pandemic, whenever it may be, I'll have a book with many chapters um, for us to learn from. Joy, I love that. And I, you know, you got your name in there. Uh, you got Harambe in there. Um, but you talked about the whole family. We're talking about school to career pipeline. In order for young people to get to careers, they have to be able to access technology, uh, both the uh, hardware as well as have internet access. That involves the entire family. And having, uh, you know, hearing about parents and thinking about the fact that, you know, you have having a strong, healthy family is part of your academic success as well. Um, because if the parents aren't able to uh, help, you know, be healthy and thrive, it makes it difficult for a young person. So I'm, I'm going to need to wrap up today's session. Um, but as I before I do, I would like to get a sense from each of you, um, you know, as Benny, as you think about all the work that you've done around uh, school to career and the work that you've done with LA Trade Tech and the community planning program. 
what one resource, you know, since we've got, we've got, we're, we are waving uh, magic wands and pens that write big checks right now at the federal level. Um, Benny, what are you looking for and what do you need in order uh, to keep that school to career pipeline strong? Well, I need to be very honest and say that our work is contextualized in the economy that we're living in currently. And South Central Los Angeles being the poorest part of the LA County area uh, and the most expensive place per capita to live now based on how much people make, so how much rents are, how much housing cost is. Um, I think the magic one for me is we need to invest and double down in marginalized neighborhoods where people wanna ex explore careers that are about transformation of these systems to create more opportunity in these communities. And honestly, for that, it's paid internships. Paid internships at a, at a living wage rate. And I think that's what people really have to begin to look at. And let's look at our union brothers and sisters, right? They have apprenticeship programs. You do five years in the apprentice and you have a career, right? But they're getting paid a living wage that they can sustain themselves and their families. That's why they make the five-year commitment and then they have a career. We don't have no such thing in the nonprofit sector and we don't really have anything you know, in the in the government sector either uh, so that people begin to get pathways and exposure. So for me, we need more career pathway programs that are comprehensive as to what Sister Joy is saying, like it has to engage the entire family because we're not trying to transform one individual, we're trying to tr transform communities. And the way communities break down is community, family, people, individuals. And so we think about it from that perspective and we think about the context of the neighborhoods we're trying to impact the most to change the economy in these neighborhoods, to change the infrastructure, to end you know, generational poverty in black and brown communities, we have to develop training programs that not only, yes, make that connection to a job, but also give people the ability to sustain themselves as they're learning, as they're committing and focusing. You know, If we were able to do that, Tanua, it would be transformative in terms of how this work is done. You know, um, the city does what they can. They make an investment of about maybe $4,000 per individual to go through any sort of, kind of training program for, expo for preparation, exposure to jobs that might be available in all sorts of industries. For example, our public ally program, we make when we add the stipend plus our program costs, we're making over a $45,000 per 10-month investment in black and brown South Central residents to go into a nonprofit where they're practicing and developing the capacity, but they're also strengthening the ability of that nonprofit to, deep, to reach deeper into these communities. So it has a compound effect, not only for the individual learning, but for the ability of these nonprofits to do better work. So to me, paid internships with serious investment, where you have a relationship between the industry the community and you as the intermediary is super, super important. So that's what I would do in terms of the magic wand. And I would hold all of us accountable. And as I've said before, I think on your show, we need to make an investment by which there are mandated local hiring agreements or requirements of every nonprofit that works in our neighborhoods should hire a certain percentage of their staff local from that community, just like we do for redevelopment projects when we have local hiring pro, uh, programs, we should do that wherever public dollars are invested to work with our neighborhoods. Those organizations should hire locally as well. And so 
to me, that's the magic one. Create the demand so that the places like LA Trade Tech and Southwest and CRCD and CD Tech and Brotherhood Crusade and other groups that are doing workforce development type programs have now a pathway right into jobs that are waiting for them as soon as we prepare these folks to work through that process. And so that we then we recruit those black and brown young folks from our neighborhoods who are the, the real investment to really be transformative to end these cycles of poverty, to change systems and create new opportunities for those historically marginalized in our neighborhoods. That would be my magic one. Well, we got it. We, that is quite a blueprint. I love it. Um, you know, let's make sure we are paying folks a dignified wage as they're learning. Let's make sure that I love the public dollars that we are investing in organizations, accountability for those nonprofit organizations, making sure that the people in those neighborhoods uh, are able to benefit from that. Benny, we're going to talk about that on another uh, show. Joy. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Yes. Thank you. We got to talk about that. So, Joy, let's um, hear what, what do you all need? We've got to get every young person no less than reading at the third grade level by the time they are in the third grade. But we want young people uh, to be able to comprehend uh, what they are reading, because that is where we get a critical, civilized and ready, uh, you know, country of people who can make sure that our democracy moves forward and that we have a civilized society. Joy, what do you need? So, I mean, you said it best. Thank you so much. Um, being that we want to see young people who are ready to be trained um, at a program like CD Tech, we need more freedom schools. And so we want to encourage um, churches and higher education institutions, school districts, um, local nonprofits, Wherever there is space, there should be a freedom schools. And in that freedom schools, there should be space for young people to be affirmed, to be able to read and access books with characters that look like them, that have experience like them, um, with positive young adults who are telling them, yes, you can make it. I made it. I went through CD Tech. You can too. Um, we want to make sure that not only do we have freedom schools throughout the country, but that we have quality freedom schools, well-funded freedom schools, so that our children have everything they need when they go to freedom schools. I also just want to highlight that the National Center for Education Statistics 2019 report says that over 54% of Americans read below a sixth grade reading level. We've got a lot of work to do. So when we host Freedom Schools, we want to close that gap, but we also want to inspire young people to utilize their education for self-care, utilize their education for families, healthy families, and utilize their education to make a difference in our world. Joy, that is, that's great to hear. Um, and, you know, we want to thank you for coming on. I know you were a little worried and not sure you'd, you know, have enough words for today, but look at that. Uh, you are passionate about education and making sure that our young people have access to literacy. I want to thank you and Benny for joining me for this critical conversation. Uh, honestly, if you aren't working on school to career, you're working on another school to something else. So let's get people focused on working on school to career uh, to make sure that we can have some of those equitable outcomes for our communities and that we're ready to do so. You heard it here. 
there are all kinds of policy solutions for how as we come out of COVID and public resources get invested, we wanna make sure that people in the community are able to move forward with those opportunities. Um, for uh, today, we wanna thank you for all of these innovative uh, approaches uh, to school to career pipelines and I'm so grateful that our community has leaders like you. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having us. This episode of Changemakers LA was made possible by our partner, Wells Fargo. If you'd like to learn more about how we support place-based initiatives for housing and economic development at LISC LA, please visit us online at www.lisc.org forward slash Los Angeles and follow us on Twitter at LISC underscore LA. That's at L-I-S-C underscore L-A. You can find the rest of the series on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Subscribe to hear more conversations about the people and places that shape Los Angeles. This podcast was produced in collaboration with Growing Greatness Now, a consulting firm committed to social and environmental justice.